BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. A more, a more visa, a more vixa, a more... Um uh, the heart. Sometimes people feel so bad. They're like they kind of stumble over. It's like you know when you see someone at a party and you don't know their name. You're like, hey, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like this is more hey, <laughs> And so that actually is always the one that gives the most, um, you know, the most uh, smiles. Hey guys, welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the best-selling beauty products and the damn good stories behind them. We're your hosts, Carlene Higgins and Jill Dunn. Support for Breaking Beauty comes from Brita Canada. So, Carlene, when you're backstage at Fashion Week, what do models always say is their number one tip for good skin? Only go out at night. Nah. Get 14 hours of sleep, at least on the weekends. Never heard them say that. Um, drink water? Yes. Did you know World Water Day is March 22nd? No, this is embarrassing. This month, when you purchase a Brita Me to We limited edition statement bottle, you'll be providing a year's supply of clean water to a person in Kenya. Can't talk. Drinking water. Buy a Brita Me to We specially marked bottle and visit trackyourimpact.com to learn exactly how and where your purchase has made a difference. I feel prettier already. Hey guys, welcome to our very first podcast. We're so excited that you tuned in. And today's episode, it's all about the hard to pronounce beauty brand, as you heard in the cold opening, that is poised to become a household name, Amoravitsa. So the purpose of this podcast isn't about the treat of the week. You know, there might be some other beauty podcasts out there that do that. It's about the tried and true products that as longtime beauty editors ourselves, we truly love and we know that other insiders are obsessed with these products too we really want to share those you know nuggets of gold with you and these products have really stood the test of time it's also about the founders who created them yeah because i think you and i can both agree that that when you get to interview the founder you see the product and the story behind the product shine and so um today we're talking to margaret de heinrich de moravica who started her own luxury skincare line with her husband Stephen just over a decade ago their story is really like a fairy tale. Oh, it's so, it so is. I love it. <laughs> He's of Hungarian nobility. She's a Southern belle. They meet, they fall in love, they have four kids, and they start this luxury brand that's completely reflective of their jet set lifestyle. 
I'm actually looking at their website right now and their flagship spa is in Budapest. It looks like something from the medieval ages. It has stained glass and these beautiful baths. It actually looks like somewhere Daenerys Targaryen might have like just gotten her facial. Yeah, it's like a Game of Thrones outtake. It's so <laughs> beautiful. I've got to get to Hungary. <laughs> so let's take a second to talk about their line. They're all based on the thermal mineral springs in Hungary. They are geological wonders that are filled with um, natural minerals such as zinc. And as the mythical story goes, Roman soldiers would dip into these baths and come out noticing that their scars were healing. And this really is what started bath culture there. Absolutely. And so for Amoravica, their most iconic product is their thermal cleansing balm. Mm -hmm. And we're going to hear straight from Margaret a little later on why it is so special. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing to note here, it's not a wash and go cleanser. It's one of those products you you use like a ritual. It's an experience. And that's the whole um, special part about this brand is that it encourages you to slow down and appreciate that uh, ritual of bathing and mm-hmm. ritual of taking care of your skin. Mm-hmm. It's true. Even when you first see this, the thermal cleansing balm in particular, it's in this really heavy glass frosted jar. You open it up. All the it's details. black inside. It looks like this delicacy that might be like inside of French pastry. Yeah. Um, it's It looks delicious and smells delicious as well. Um, and when I first tried it, I did try and use it just like a wash and go <laughs> cleanser, like an idiot. But it is a balm. So that's a, a totally different category. It actually comes with its own uh, cloth. And you need to really massage that around. Yeah. Um, washcloth, best exfoliator yeah, on the hot market. Tip, hot hot tip. tip. You don't need to buy a separate one. Um, and when I used it, I looked at it and I saw yeah. all my makeup on the cloth. And yeah. I was just like, I it know takes that's gross. Everything. But yeah, it's like such a satisfying feeling. Anyway, after about a week, I did notice that my skin started to have this extra glow. And I think it's because there are natural oils in there as well. And some of them kind of stay on your skin. Well, it's not stripping your skin, right? Yeah. And that's the big, big feature to to this product. And it has no junk in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's got some major beauty buzz behind it. Adriana Lima is a fan amongst... There's tons of other celebrity fans of this brand, too. Um, and it also has some fashion cred. Gucci Westman, who is a makeup artist we adore, she used this line at New York Fashion Week at the Marquesa, Marquesa show a few weeks back to give skin a natural natural glow. And Gucci Westman is all about skin first, makeup second. The mm-hmm. better the skin looks, the less makeup you have to use. So mm-hmm. she was using the Amore Essence, the Illuminizing, Illuminating Moisturizer, and a handful of other products. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she, um, just to give a bit of background about her, she works on like Drew Barrymore and Cameron Diaz. She's like besties with all of them. Yeah, Vogue covers, that kind of thing. And and her kind of, part of her shtick is like, she only really endorses skincare that is all natural. Yeah. And um, this one doesn't include include parabens yeah. or phthalates, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's also won a ton of beauty awards, right? Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's a... I th- I think it's the fastest growing luxury skincare brand at department stores like Liberty of London and Nordstrom. Mm-hmm. Um, but enough about that. So we want to get uh, Margaret. We want to hear from her. So um, let's turn it over to the founder herself. And we wanted to get her story in her own words. And so we asked her to start where else? Right at the very beginning, because it wasn't always ball gowns and bubbly. I grew up in Florida and I had a really lovely, typical childhood. Two older brothers um, lived on a dead-end street, um, was really sporty. 
and very involved in politics, actually. I was, um, you know, head of this and head of that and on the um, yearbook committee and, and uh, just loved every minute. Um, we grew up on the river, the St. John's River, and so there was a lot of sailing. There was uh, just a lot of, um, interestingly, having four children now, a completely different approach to raising children. I mean, in um, at least my childhood, you just opened up the back door and they, you know, we all ran wild and, and, and you know, had the best time. Whereas now it's, um, of course, living in a bigger city, it's, it's a little bit different. But my parents had a very cool way of, of raising us. And that was, independence was one thing. But also we were kind of set free to, you know, fend for ourselves in terms of uh, money pretty early on. And so at 15, I found myself um, doing after school and weekend jobs, which I, to this day, absolutely loved. And I loved it at the time. It wasn't one of those things where I was like, oh, you know, going, going to work again. I loved it. Um, it gave me independence, gave me financial independence. I met some fantastic people. And one of my first jobs was working at Banana Republic. And I was working at the, I think it was called the River Point. I think that's what it was called. It was this wonderful, the, the fact that Banana Republic came into Jacksonville, Florida was a revelation. And I remember I literally was waiting, like almost like I had, it was waiting in my mother's car for the manager to show up the back door. And like I pounced on her and I said, okay, I, I want a job. And, um, and, I, and I worked there. I worked there after school and on the weekends. Banana Republic used to have those t-shirts, uh, these wonderful um, African you know, safari t-shirts. And I would fold t-shirt after t-shirt. I have to say growing up in, um, in Florida, my mother, uh, and I think every child, at least I would like to think one of my four children thinks I'm great. <laughs> one of them at least. Um, you know, I thought my mother was great. I think my mother is great still. And she's a very glamorous woman. And, um, and I remember these um, magazines arriving and I would always wait for them and it would be, you know, Vogue, whatever. But what really drew me was W. And this was W when it was the newspaper. And I'd open the cellophane and I'd, uh, you know, double fo fold and you'd read about this life in New York and all of this. And it was really, um, I think, the lifestyle element that I um, absolutely was fascinated with. And this, this art of living. And of course, dressing is a part of that. And I still, to this day, absolutely love fashion. But I, I think what I love more is this idea of living well. But so my childhood was really quite fun. I um, loved it. So far, it seems like Margaret's a fairly typical American teenager. She's got her job at the mall. Yeah, she's making her own money, loving life. But I can tell, you know, she's a little extra keen. Yeah, like how she jumped on that manager. So she's combining her eagerness and her love for fashion. Where does any girl who loves fashion end up? Interning at magazines in New York. The first one I did was Late Night with Conan O'Brien. So Late Night with Conan O'Brien, how, I don't know if you read the same article, but there was an article in, um, I was spending the summer um, traveling uh, in France, actually, my mother was living there, and um, I was reading a Vanity Fair article about Conan O'Brien, and there was this big, there was a big picture, and him, um, uh, there was a big globe on his back, like he was carrying the weight of the world, and I thought he was cute, and so I said, this guy's cute, I want to, you know, get to know him, and so I, um, I wrote them a letter uh, for an internship. Anyway, long story short, um, I did an internship there, which was 
such a blast. Some of my best friends are still from that show and who've gone on to do amazing things. Louis C.K. was there. I mean, amazing. Um, and, and so many, uh, Dance Michael and uh, so many cool, cool characters. And then I did an internship for W Magazine, which was so fun. And it's always not what you expected. I remember showing up, um, at, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed and saying, oh, you know, I'm here. And I, I thought, you know, it would be just a sea of glamazons and, you know, Prada boxes for anyone who wanted one could just walk away with it, etc. And I thought it was the floor for, um, for interns. And uh, it was not, obviously. So that was after I, I, I actually did end up going well, but, um, but I would go around New York on a Winnebago, you know, helping these, you know, these amazing people get their photo shoots and all of that. Um, I worked with some amazing people. There is uh, Bridget Foley, who is amazing. There is also uh, Dennis Friedman, Bobby Queen, who's still there, who is just a legend and who I loved. Um, they're just, I mean, I could go on and on some wonderful, wonderful people who really took care of me and, um, and it was just an exciting place to be. I also did an internship at Vogue. Fashion break. Carleen, if you had to intern at Vogue, what would you wear on your first day? God, I don't know. I'd probably, I think I'd borrow something from, uh, my good friend, first name Holt, last name Renfrew. What about you? Oh my God. I don't know either. I, I... I literally have nothing. I would just have to quit the internship because I would have nothing that would be AW approved. <laughs> but uh, let's find out what Margaret wore. So my first day outfit were these um, these Gucci like four inch heel shoes, which I had gotten on sale, and of course thought I can wear you know shoes two sizes too small for me. You know it doesn't matter. They're cute. You know, it's not a short distance. And I was wearing a hand-me-down. My mother had the most beautiful dresses and clothes. And so, you know, first starting out, you have no money. You, you know, you do what you have to do. And so I was wearing my mother's hand-me-downs. And it was actually a pretty fabulous cashmere sweater dress that I was probably a little bit too big to wear. But anyway, I liked it. So, um, you know, small dress, small shoes. And I remember um, this funny feeling of having to walk quickly when I moved to New York. Vogue is a completely different kettle of fish to um, W, and I think um, what the misconception is is that it's parties and you know champagne glasses and caviar and potatoes all day long, and just how hard everyone works and just how smart everyone is. I think that the um, the sophistication intellectually is um, is quite amazing. I am the biggest fan of Anna Winter ever. She would not know who I was. I was just in you know one the one like not just ducking when she walked by, but like jumping into like empty offices so that she wouldn't see me because I never felt cute enough but um but I have to say I have nothing but amazing respect for her and it's interesting strong women um I've been lucky to work for a few and I've always had nothing but respect certainly when I started but even more so after no matter how challenging it was you see the vision you see the discipline necessary to really move the needle and to um, make something happen and to shift perspective and attitudes and it is mind-blowing and um, something to be um, just hats off, I suppose. So the internships are paying off for Margaret. She's rubbing shoulders with all these super cool creative types in TV and in magazines. 
And it's not a big surprise. I mean, you and I both coming from the magazine world know that I would say 90% of editors started out schlepping coffee as interns. I wasn't one of them, but were you? Yeah, I got my start in magazines as an intern. And uh, at Elle Canada, I was actually the first intern ever when they when they launched. When Margaret was 22, she got an internship at Time Magazine and got her job there working for five years. And then came a phone call that would change it all. The people on the other end of the phone said, Margaret, you know, do you want to become a diplomat and move to Budapest? And I didn't know them well, but I knew them in a professional capacity. Um, and, uh, and they just said, listen, we, we know you, you, we think you'd be perfect for this. And in a split second, I said yes. But the next second, I said, where the hell is Budapest? And so I did a quick search on the internet, and the only thing I could see was this map of the city. And um, the language is rather challenging. And so I couldn't understand any of the words except for the name of an island in between Buda and Pest called Margaret Island. And I looked at that as a sign, obviously. My name is Margaret. And, um, and anyway, six months later, I find myself chief of staff at the American embassy to the ambassador. My journey, my transition from America to Budapest, it was not so fluid because I was scheduled to leave America on September 11th, 2011. And, excuse me, 2001. And I was literally sitting on my suitcase, um, trying, because uh, overpacked, thank you, as I still do, and I was trying to zip it up. And, um, and that's when, of course, the Twin Towers happened. And, um, and I remember getting on the phone to the embassy and the embassy was being evacuated because they were having a bomb, in Budapest, were having a bomb um, scare, as they did, as I found out at a lot of embassies that day. And it was just, um, anyway, a very, very uh, fluid time. And um, but long story short, 10 days later, I'm in Budapest and um, hit the ground running. I remember accompanying the ambassador to parliament. She was asking for overflight rights literally the day she arrived. Um, and, uh, and so it was just a very exciting, exciting time, a very intense time. This next part explains why it's good to have friends in high places. Yes, the U.S. ambassador to Hungary, her name is Nancy Brinker, and that is Margaret's boss. Um, it's through these connections that's actually how Margaret met her future husband and business partner, Stephen de Heinrich de Moravica, a.k.a. her prince. And when Stephen and I first started to date, he really wanted to bring the city alive for me. And the top thing on his list of the local treasures was these amazing Hungarian thermal waters. I remember, like it was yesterday, the first visit to these, these thermal healing waters. You know, you go in, and they're effectively called temples of health. They've got 50-foot-tall ceilings, marble frescoes everywhere. The steam comes up from the water because it's being drawn from meters and meters within the earth, and so opening up through the cupolas. And, um, and Stephen starts telling me the history of these waters, about how they were discovered 2,000 years ago by the Roman Caesar Marcus Aurelius, who noticed that um, as he and his soldiers were marching through the country, those that were wounded, those who had wounds in their skin, um, if they waded into these bubbling springs, their wounds would heal, their skin would regenerate very quickly. And so that really started the bathing culture. And then you had the um, Knights Timbar in the Middle Ages build hospices on the sites of these bubbling springs to treat leprosy. You have the Pashas of Budapest bring the Hammam culture, you have the Habsburgs, etc. cetera. And, um, and we're getting out of the, uh, the waters 
and there's a massive marble sign behind me that's engraved in Latin that I hadn't noticed. Well, one thing is, hello, I didn't speak Latin, but that was just a technicality. But anyway, I hadn't really um, absorbed. And, um, and it said, dedicated to the Hungarians for your health and well-being, 1865, Johann de Heinrich de Morvica. And what I didn't know, because my husband is very discreet, is he comes from one of these wonderful old families, these noble families, where there is um, a history of philanthropy and engagement in the community. And in fact, the name of Morvica is the name of a town that was given to his family many, many moons ago by the Austro-Hungarian emperor for their contributions to the community. And, um, and as I mentioned, I didn't know, but Stephen's uh, family were very engaged in the community, and Stephen's very proud of this, very discreet, but very proud of it. And um, his uh, relatives so believed in the curative powers of these healing waters that they bought the oldest source in Hungary. They worked with Miklos Jibel, who is effectively the most um, renowned Hungarian architect in history. He built, fictively, the cityscape of Budapest, the opera house, the basilicas, etc. And they built what became Europe's most innovative spa. And they went to donate that to the Hungarians. And, um, and so Stephen's very proud of it. And I have to confess, though, that the stories were very enchanting, memorable. But what got me going back over and over again to these waters was the effects they had on my skin. I'm someone, as I was sharing earlier, uh, have had really challenging skin from a very early age, which was really tough on my confidence. I um, had acne, rosacea, et cetera, and was, had been prescribed over the years lots of different um, medications from tetracycline to Accutane, et cetera. And I had really never experienced anything that had made such a difference to my skin from one minute to the next, and so that's got me going back over and over again. Talk about a Cinderella story. Margaret and Stephen have fallen in love. They've discovered these magical waters. They must be permanently glowing at this point. Absolutely, and these healing waters have been around for centuries, so I started to wonder, why didn't anyone think of bottling them up before? It's kind of kind of unusual, right? Totally, great question. So I asked Margaret, what was the catalyst? In my capacity as a diplomat, I got to go around um, and tour the leading research innovation facilities. And um, on one of those trips, I went to a laboratory of dermatology, which is famous for having discovered vitamin C and winning a Nobel Prize for that discovery. And, um, and I remember just kind of hanging in the back because the ambassador was up um, with uh, the poobahs. And I was in the back um, with the younger doctors just making conversation. And asking them, you know, why is it that my skin has improved so drastically? I mean, I've never really experienced anything like this. And they, they said a couple of things. They said, one, minerals have been used for thousands of years to make your skin more elastic and firmer. And they said, what's more, what I was experiencing in Budapest was unusual. And it was unusual because Budapest is a geological curiosity. It's a geological curiosity because the Earth's crust is thinner in Budapest than any other city in the world. Therefore, the waters rise closer to the surface, the heat penetration from the sun is greater, and the unusually high concentration of these dozens and dozens of minerals are absorbed more effectively in these waters. And because of that, Budapest has more healing springs than any other city in the world, and it's called the International Spa City. And they said, well, you know what SPA means? It's an acronym, and I, of course, had no idea. And they said spa stands for the Latin phrase sanitas par aqua, or health through water. 
turns out there is such a thing as a fountain of youth, and it's in Budapest. (laughs) Jill's eating eating here, guys. I thought we were... No, we are rolling. (laughs) But here's the thing that Margaret would discover. You can't just put it in a bottle and sell it on the shelf. It turns out if it's not blasting straight from the Earth's crust, it loses all its juju. Are you done your carrot loaf? We're talking here. (laughs) I was literally mid-chew. So these guys had... Nobel Prize winning scientists on their speed dial. They got them to patent the technology, figured it all out, and that's how the whole brand came to be, Um, including the product that put them on the map, the thermal cleansing balm. That's right. Shortly after it came out, um, Jamie Rosen, who's the beauty director at W Magazine at the time, um, she listed it as one of her top five things that she uses until the very last drop. And after that, it started to gain momentum. And, of course, now it's a favorite of Gucci Westman. And um, this, you know. is, this is how all cult products start. It takes one editor to be completely obsessed with it. Then every other editor gets their hands on it, becomes obsessed with it. The next thing you know, it's winning all these accolades all over the world. And my experience with this product is so amazing. Uh, it, first of all, the smell is the first thing you notice. Yeah, it's Neroli. I'm a huge fan of Neroli, by the way. Declare Neroli oil. <laughs> and you don't need a lot. Um, a little goes a long way. So you just sort of massage it onto your skin, add a little bit of water, and it whisks away all of your makeup, including those long wear foundations. Yeah, and your show Waterproof Mascara is another um, one of their claim to fame. That's the ultimate test. So this is why it costs $135. Um, it is a luxury product. But the other thing that makes it really different is it's a cleansing balm that's black. And it's black because we use mud. And we use mud because there is a, another geological curiosity in Hungary, um, which is just outside of Budapest, and it's the largest active thermal lake in the world. And the bed of this um, lake is covered in a pitch black mud, which has more nutrients than um, anything you can imagine. And uh, magnesium, calcium, carbonates. I think someone said there are over a thousand nutrients, and some you cannot find anywhere else. It's medical grade mud. There's a teaching hospital next to it. And the lake renews itself naturally every 24 hours. So, literally, this mineral rich water um, drains and replenishes, and for lack of a better term, marinates this mud. And we're able to harvest it and put it in our products. And I think the reason this product is so sensational is number one, it just works, it's won every beauty award and all of that. It works. It smells of orange blossom. It's great for people who um, have, you know, dry skin, aging skin, um, acne. It's just, um, it's just such a very special, unique product and a real joy to use. It's difficult to explain it without um, someone having tried it, but it's definitely one of those products you turn upside down with your little Q-tip and get every little little bit out. So we had to ask her one last question. What's the number one thing that they've learned about running a successful beauty business? In short, just remaining true to yourself, not trying to be everything to everyone. And there's such a temptation because, you know, you speak to someone like, oh, let's go in that direction. And you speak to someone else, let's go in that direction. But I think that that's probably the fastest way to dissipate um, any brand um, experience for a customer. And I think that is something um, when you're true to yourself, it just simply resonates. And that's it's been the same for since when Estee Lauder started. It's the same when Helena Rubinstein started. It's the same. With a more pizza, it's the same. It's just, um, you have to be true to yourself. Thanks for tuning in to Breaking Beauty. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast fix. And if you're up for it, show your love by writing a review in iTunes. 
and get behind the scenes scoop as well as our social media handles at breakingbeauty.ca.